Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. the College Audition, a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I'm your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA, that's Musical Theater College Auditions, and today we've got a kooky and collaborative show lined up for you. This is our first dual guest episode with the wonderful Will Reynolds, who's of course an old friend and MTCA coach slash music supervisor, and Hannah Corneau, who is a delightful new friend. Uh, Today on the show, we talk a little bit about how Hannah and Will ended up at Syracuse and Carnegie Mellon, respectively. Uh, We give some advice for parents calling their actor children. Uh, We try to talk about kind of breaking out of the fixed mindset about programs and careers. Uh, We talk about Will's songwriting process and blending his performing and songwriting skills. Best practices with collaboration and feedback between the composer and the singer. We talk a lot about collaboration. You're going to hear that word a lot. Uh, We talk about finding openness in the rehearsal process and working with scene partners. And we play our first live action collaborative game with a little mind meld. If any of you played mind meld out there, it goes pretty well, surprisingly well. Um, And we wrap with a little bit of social media diet, talking about creating versus consuming. Um, I do regret uh, not getting deeper into some of this good Wicked stuff, which Hannah was uh, an alphaba in Wicked. Um, We did touch on it a bit, but I had a bunch of unasked questions about that particular show. There's only so much time, you know. You prepare so much and you only get so much uh, actually in there. But I do think it's a really fun episode. I just, I love both of their energies. And of course I knew Will already, but uh, getting to see Hannah like that was really fun. Speaking of fun, it is vacation time for your favorite podcast host. Um, I have not taken a true vacation, sort of non-working vacation uh, over the summer. I know I took a little time off of the podcast, but still uh, a lot of work. Um, But I have not done a real vacation since Solvay was born. And Elizabeth and I are going to spend a few days in Colorado. You know, it's between work for her. So it's sort of a half-working vacation for her. But uh, we're going to need a couple days where we're going to truly try to unplug, if at all humanly possible. So if anything earth-shattering happens between um, recording this on a Saturday uh, and when this airs on Wednesday, you're going to have to wait until next week for me to address it you know whether it's the queen's resurrection or whatever happens in the news um i'm not gonna catch it in time uh but let's dive into this really fun episode with will reynolds and hannah corneau all right well we are honored and excited to have will reynolds and hannah corneau on the pod (laughs) today i'm gonna do two bios back to back we'll see how i do here uh, Hannah has a BFA from Syracuse University. She made her Broadway debut in Wicked as Elphaba, and she's on off-Broadway shows like Daddy Long Legs, potentially sharing that show with our own Will Reynolds. Um, she's also with Will, appearing in the upcoming Radioactive, that's by Will Reynolds and Eric Price, and she has her own personal fashion line called The Rose House, which we may talk about a bit today. Will has a BFA from Carnegie Mellon University. He's an actor, he's a writer, he's a teaching artist. He's done shows like The Same Daddy Long Legs, Passion, The Illusion. And as a writer, he's written music for The Violet Hour, Radioactive, Around the World, The Sixth Borough, and currently the Apple TV Plus show Central Park, 
all with Eric Price, as well as the theme music for this very podcast without needing Eric to supply the ba-ba-ba's. Those came from my daughter. She did those. Um, Will is also a longtime amazing MTCA song coach and our music supervisor and also the founder of This MT Space, which is a musical theater songwriting program for people who are looking to get into it. Will, Hannah, welcome on the pod. Do you feel honored to be our first duo? Yes! <laughs> Deep. Deep honor. Deep honor. Good. I said honored and excited, and I was going to leave it up to you of who was an honor and who was excitement. You can sort of, we'll keep that a mystery, you know? We can keep it a mystery, but I think yeah, I'm excited. That's excited. You're 100% right. That's right. I'll go with oh, honor. He's on Apple TV Plus. That's the honor, you know? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> um, I'm so excited for the second half of the show. We're going to talk a lot about collaboration with the two of you. Um, but I also do, because you went to the wonderful Syracuse University and we have not yet had a, a student. We had Tom Miller from Syracuse on the pod. Um, we haven't yet had a, a student had that experience. So I'm going to really focus the first half a little bit more on you, Hannah. And Will, since we've had an overabundance of Carnegie Mellon oh, I'm content. Sure. You're I'm just, sure. you're going to bob and weave. I'm going to throw some to right. you. I'm going to not some yeah. to you. When you have interesting things to say, if you want to supply accompaniment in the background, you know, we'll let you do all of this. <laughs> um, but this one really can be for both of you. I'll start this with Hannah, which is just to take me back a little bit to when you were 16, 17, maybe starting to think about doing all this. Like, what were you looking for in a program? If you had like a mission statement of like, I'm hoping for a program that is like X, what was that X for you? Absolutely. That's such a good question. And I also just love your spirit. Oh, thank you. We start with a compliment. We love. Listen, we do. We do. Um, I'm looking for a program and it was so beautifully evident right away with Syracuse. I'm looking for a program that allows me to feel uh, myself in mm-hmm. um, and and I'm looking for a program that honors curiosity, which is certainly what Syracuse did. It was like Syracuse is a program that is known for cultivating authenticity out of their artists. Um, and I think that's a testament to their faculty. It's just like such a range of people um, mm-hmm. who have like different backgrounds and training. And so it's just it's like a cool artist colony in upstate New York vibe, you know, that's, that has deep integrity, um, but not rigidity. At least that's Mm -hmm. what I felt. At least that's what I felt. And what was like the scope of your search? Like, were you looking at all musical theater programs? Were you looking at a whole bunch of them? Did you only look at a couple? Absolutely. Great question as well. Um, I, so I did apply to Ithaca for vocal performance um, you want that upstate New York haven. That's listen. what you're going for. You had that specific dream. And my Jewish mother had that specific dream as well, because we'll, I'm from we'll upstate New York. You know? Fear not. We'll get into the Jewish mother. <laughs> Fear yeah. not. They're coming. Um, uh, yeah, so I was from upstate New York. And so, of course, and, you know, it's it was lucky. We had just amazing programs up there as well. Um, but so I, I applied, actually, to Ithaca for their BFA musical theater program and their vocal performance program Mm -hmm. did not get in for musical theater, but did vocal Mm -hmm. performance. Um, And then it was kind of uh, for the rest of my schools that I applied to, I applied to Boston Conservatory, Carnegie Mellon, um, Emerson, Hart Mm -hmm. School of Music. uh, But like I didn't do Michigan and I did not do CCM, which was Hmm. once I got to school and you found out more about others' journeys. I was like, wait, I did not apply to those two. That's kind of mm-hmm. odd. But I mean, my journey was so meant to to lead me to Syracuse. Um, but 
Yeah, it was a lip down to the wire there, just to hone in on your question, it was down to the vocal performance program at Ithaca mm-hmm. and the BFA program for musical theater at Syracuse. And ultimately, I, I knew that I really, really wanted to focus on storytelling and like uh-huh. the larger uh, the world, the larger world of artistry. So. I love it. All right. Well, I will ask you the same question, though. You're not going to get many of these questions. But oh, when you were arriving at this 15, 16, 17, starting to think about all this, what were you looking for in a program? I had such a really like a, I, I was sort of the opposite of what we do at MTCA in terms of our uh, kind of philosophy around application and where to be looking and how kind of wide to spread your wings. I had such a fixed mindset. I applied to four schools, mm. two for musical theater two for uh, like classical music voice. And I was like, if I don't get into these schools, I'm not ready for this thing. And I can't do this thing. I was like so hard on myself. And it was Carnegie Mellon, Cincinnati, uh, a CCM for, for musical theater, and then Northwestern and Juilliard for voice. And um, got waitlisted at Juilliard. I'm just going to hang that little thing. It could still happen for you, buddy. Um, I'm, really I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting. Um, um, got in the other places, which was, which was amazing. Um, but I, but really just told my, I, 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 it was such a fixed mindset about like, mm-hmm. it can only be these four. If I don't get into these four at the highest level, you know, what I was, imag- was, had been told was like the highest level, then yeah. what do you do? You know, you, you must reconsider your dreams. And, uh, I, I think a lot of that had to do with like, just like information out there, you know, this was, right. you know, this was like the early eighties back then. Right? <laughs> yeah, this is the early eighties. You know, yeah. I mean, it was Carnegie tech. Yeah. Carnegie tech. Exactly. Cincinnati was just wheat fields. Yeah, you had to make it by horse, horse cab- carriage <laughs> to take you to your audition. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Exactly. No, you know, it was, you know, there was not, you were kind of going off of, I was going off of things I would see in the bios uh, for the tours mm-hmm. that came. I grew up in Chicago, you know, the, the artists that I would see, Oh, they went to see Cincinnati. Oh, they went to Carnegie Mellon. Mm-hmm. Oh, Stephen Schwartz, who I was obsessed with the musical Pippin in, in, in high school. Mm-hmm. Like Stephen Schwartz went to Carnegie Mellon and he was in, he was in the, in the theater program. Oh, you can. And I was also starting to write a little bit in high school. And I was like, well, that would be really cool. And uh, you know, to follow in that person's footsteps that he could be in the theater program, could write musicals. Um, the composer, Ricky Ian Gordon went to the music school at Carnegie Mellon. So I very much was sort of like, who are they? Where'd they go? I'm mm-hmm. going to apply there kind of a person. Um, but yeah, it was a very, very fixed mindset that would not work these days at all. Um, <laughs> I don't think at all. I, I should have had so many other schools on my list. Um, so I wish I had, I had no coaching. I was just flying mm-hmm. by the seat of my Midwestern fans. Will Reynolds, <laughs> I will tell you one fun fact, which is when I was visiting schools, when I was visiting Carnegie Mellon, I came and saw you. This is not to age everyone to know where everyone's age is, but I came and saw you in a show. I believe it was Candide. Is that true? Did yes. you do Candide? My, our yes. se- my senior musical. Your senior yes. show. And I remember thinking, oh man, this is where it's at. This is the, okay. that's where the talent is right there. I got to go here. Carnegie Mellon, my gosh. So there you go. I know You're, exactly. you're sure you saw my cast because we were double cast. Um, no, I did think there's someone who's better than you. That probably what that was. Yes, it. It was probably was yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was the other guy, and his name was Will Reynolds, which is so weird. So it's like that's crazy. Whichever yes. one you saw, they were equity the best. has to fix it. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk. Let's get into Hannah's Jewish mother and all of our families. Oh my God. In terms of so so now we're going into this field, and maybe not everyone is thrilled by that. Maybe people are thrilled by that. You know, as we talk about, I was just doing this yesterday. I was talking about this process with someone in general, and just talking about like how you know, the college experience and the 
the conservatory training experience don't always naturally go together. They don't always necessarily make sense of like, oh, right, I'm going to go to, to four years of college and four years of conservatory and how they work together. I would just love to hear like, what was your relationship with your parents? Like, were they all supportive of, yes, we totally get it. Go for your dream. Or, you know, to Will's point, sometimes parents say, well, if you can't get into one of these three, then we know it's not meant to be and you should go to business school. You know, how was that like with, with your parents? We'll start with Hannah and then Will, you can tell me too. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so single mom and bless her heart, she was supportive and made it work. Like really, really made it work. Filled out those FAFSA forms, like helped me, didn't kind of let me fly by the seat of my upstate New York pants. Cause you said Midwestern <laughs> pants, well, I'm going to call it back. Um, you know, so she let me kind of just do my thing as far as like coordinating auditions went, but you know, bless her. She just figured it out financially for me mm-hmm. and for her, um, to, you know, for which I was very grateful. And, um, but she was all, it's your dream. Go for it. She wasn't, there was no. Yeah. And yes, exactly. It was my dream. And also I had a lot of champions in high school mm-hmm. and I had positive reinforcement as far, like by way of like getting the roles and, um, you know, I feel like there's indicators, right. That help parents mm-hmm. find the faith, um, Someone says, hey, Hannah's really special. Yeah, really go with and I luckily yeah. had some beautiful champions that allowed my mom to breathe a little bit easier in her encouragement mm-hmm. to go along this path. Um, but, you know, it was it was a struggle. And, like, I would – financially, it was a struggle. And, um, yes. you know, and, of course, she's still my mom, and so she's still, like – what's going on with that audition? You know what I mean? It like never goes away. It's all, there's always going to be that like, how's it go? And cause it's the life of like an artist, a freelance yes. artist, you know, um, unless you're, you know, in a very long running show and, and you want to stay there for a while, you know, it's like, unless there's a very specific circumstance that happens, you're an artist who is an artist and live in that life of uncertainty. And so bless mm-hmm. the parents who, who encourage it, you know, but it's also my, important to have those champions that are indicators to, to us. My own Jewish mother will often, often would ask, Hey, did you book that HBO show? And I'll be like, yeah, mom, I booked it secretly yeah. and didn't tell yeah. you. That's right. I would not have called you to tell you. I just, I was waiting for you to call and check in. Always. And then I was going to oh tell God, you that. I booked Charlie, it. that is the conversation that I have had for, what is it? 60 years now, right? Yeah, yeah. 60 years since the late 30s. This podcast is going to make people go and, and look my, up my picture online and realize how wrong. <laughs> He's got gray are. hair. He has. I'm looking at gray oh hair. Oh my not? God. Salt and pepper at the very silver. least. Let's call it silver. Silver. Silver, silver fox, tongue, baby. Silver voice, silver fox. All right. What about your parents, Will? What was the experience from those Midwestern yeah, pants yes. factories? Um, <laughs> my parents were were and are still incredibly supportive and we're absolutely the exact same mindset of this is your dream. We're going to figure out how to make this happen in a very similar vein. The finances were like not the uh, thing that was going to be easy. And there were a lot of difficult conversations when it came to, okay, you could go here. And this is, you know, just really specifically between when it came down to the two musical theater programs, Cincinnati was, uh, uh, you know, a, a public school. Obviously, I, w- I wasn't from Ohio. I grew up in uh, in Illinois, but still, the tuitions were wildly different. Mm-hmm. Um, I had wi- a very different scholarship things come in from the, from the different schools, and it was just going to be a very different kind of sacrifice for my parents, who had already put my two older sisters through college, mm-hmm. um, or were just finishing. Um, one had already gone, and one was still in. And um, 
it was also very clear that I would have to work while I was there. And I had all kinds of jobs through college and all kinds of, mm -hmm. you know, either I work at the box office at, at school. I was a waiter at some random restaurant at Squirrel Hill. Um, <laughs> and I, and I had to also take out my own loans. You know, it was all yeah. this sort of like team effort to make this happen. But yeah, I mean, there was also, I think for them, if I said to them, well, what else am I going to do, mom? You know, <laughs> like I think they would be like, oh yeah, you can't really do anything else so you have no other skills good at anything else so it was sort of that it's like what else are you gonna i mean i don't know there was really no there was i had sort of uh it joyfully pushed myself into a corner where like this was the only path you know mm -hmm. I, I was also i was like a kid actor growing up in chicago like, it was just it was just like this is the only thing i can see um again in a sort of like fixed mindset way i have to say like looking back now feeling like you know, it's also, I, I, there really weren't many voices being like, like, what else could you be interested in? Yeah. Like, what else? Or, or, or open up know, a little, was, Will. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just, I was just, and, mm -hmm. and still, you know, just so hell bent on that vision. And I mean, I think mm -hmm. we, I think that is the, that tenacity is what gets you through uh -huh. a career in the arts. And I yes. think the ones, my, my friends who, you know, if I, when I think back to the folks who I graduated school with and was in school with, you know, um, you know, many, many are, are not still within the program or the program, <laughs> the, uh, the, 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 the business, program, the, industry, saying, but, the addiction uh, that is. Yeah, the, yeah, right, program. Exactly. <laughs> the yeah. larger program. Yeah. yeah, right. Just be, and I think so much of that has to do with like work-life balance and that tenacity so and that, um, and that's great, you know, and yeah. I, when I see friends who pivot and shift, I, I'm so thrilled for them, you know, that to, to, uh, to see them thriving and to also like taking off that sort of fixed mindset blinders of like, yeah. no, I, you know, when I was 17, I committed to this and it's like, yeah, you were also 17 and it's okay. Mm -hmm. Life. You also don't know what's coming down choice. the line, you know? Yeah. So, um, for my parents who at that point to trust the vision of a 16 year old with, mm -hmm. you know, a multi, multi, you know, thousands of dollars, you know, decision is, you know, shows a lot of love and yeah. care. And uh, I will, I am eternally grateful for them. Yeah. I mean, I do think there's such an interesting conversation of like the mix of tenacity and openness that you need, right? You need to have the the com competitiveness with yourself, the fuel to, I'm going to keep going, I'm going to keep going. But also, I'm, Will, I'm going to give you a little bit of credit. Like, I don't know that you knew at 16 going to Carnegie Mellon's BFA musical theater program that you were going to become the exact multi-hyphenate artist that you've become, no. right? So in some ways, you've kept an openness of going, I'm still pursuing the thing tenaciously, but I have kept enough flexibility to go, oh, yeah. well, look at this. Maybe I'm composing but and acting. Maybe I'm writing. Maybe I'm, I'm going to push against you there, Charlie, where I feel like because I had gone to Carnegie Mellon and I'd spent all this money and I'd also seen, you know, you know, we were, I, I, I was there when, uh, uh, Leo and Telly were, were uh, seniors and Josh Gad and Roy O'Malley mm -hmm. and Leslie Odom and, oh my God, uh, everyone were juniors. And, uh, Megan Hilty was a year ahead of me and Patina Miller was a year below me. Mm -hmm. To watch these, you know, these forces go into the industry and see what happened to them all very quickly, you know, there was this sense of like, oh, this, you know, I have got to, I got to make good on this, on this commitment. Meaning I shouldn't pursue this other interest. I shouldn't go to this writing because I need to go do acting. I got to go because successful. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I have to, I have to make sure that this shows up in the way that I, in the thing that the, you know, the way. I saw it having to shape up when I was 17 and the way I saw others ushered into it. And, uh, mm -hmm. but no one's journey is ever the same. And, you know, timing is everything. And, you know, some, you know, I think when you see, uh, I just would love, I always share this, that, you know, when you see those folks who have very quick success out of school and we all think that, Oh, that's, if you don't have that, if that doesn't happen to you, then it's, mm -hmm. you know, 
and like good luck but it's so much of these careers are it's like that that season wasn't your season and mm -hmm. this you know maybe next year is or maybe maybe in 10 years once you've done x y and z you're not prepared for for w you know and mm -hmm. we just uh so it's again and that's part of that tenacity too but you know i absolutely i would have uh pursued the writing probably a little more boldly professionally coming out of school if i didn't have that sort of um that fixed mindset thought of like yeah. no i have to i have to run the acting the acting path at all the way down the field before I can pick up the other thing. And well, it wasn't exactly that. I was still doing both both at once, but I but I absolutely could have freed that up a bit for sure. Hindsight's funny. I love that. Well, and talk about growth, right? It is growth that you, from the, I can only be one of these four schools or it's not happening to uh, yes, discovering same. a different path. Look at you, maturing with your wizened, aged hair and your aged right. mindset. It's fantastic. <laughs> Um, Hannah, let's do a little bit of Syracuse. So now you do end up getting into Ithaca and Syracuse. You're going upstate in New York no matter what. You choose Syracuse. <laughs> Tell us a little bit of it. What was that experience like for you? you know, in a few yeah. words, you talked about kind of the authenticity that they go for. But tell me a little bit about yeah. what the experience of those four years were. Yeah, you know, the, the experience of those four years were, I think, for me, about finding community because I did find lifelong friends and collaborators, lifelong collaborators um, mm -hmm. who I'm working with to this day um, and hope to work with forever more. So that's amazing. Hannah, so the, you don't the, have to drop the episode title in your answer. It was fantastic. But it was, you know, <laughs> I'm just saying a little bit much, the collaboration. We're going to get to it. I promise. Just hitting that nail right on the head, everybody. Collaborators. But the thing is though, Will and I did not go to school together. We were just like real world blessings that mm -hmm. oh my god i mean you know the the spark that i feel with will is totally the spark that i felt with my people from syracuse um yep. but you know syracuse was also a lesson for me in like trust like we were not cast in any main stages until our sophomore year now i mm -hmm. did my freshman year we did our little crew assignments i was sound for equus which honestly was phenomenal i loved mm -hmm. it um and then sophomore year came and then junior year came and I was cast for the first time my second semester of junior year. And then I was Sally Bowles the first semester of my senior year. And so it was like, and that was, and if you look, you know, if our class were to look back at like the shows that was done, that were done during our time there, if we were to look back at that, that season and those shows, Sally in Cabaret was the role to play for the girls mm -hmm. in our four years. And it was so, like I said, it was a less, it was a lesson in patience. Totally. And like mm -hmm. trusting in, you know, like, Will, you were saying, you know, your specific journey uh, journeys, uh, no one journey is like another. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. And I also graduated school early. I, um, I had some really inspiring friends who, who kind of, were were uniquely aspirational and inspired me and so i was able to play sally bowls and um then i and you left I before left. you finished senior year yeah amazing yeah. i love that well i'd also really love i mean will joked about the program right but like <laughs> i've had that experience many times when you're like when when programs do share a mindset sometimes it is like finding a long lost cousin across you go oh like it's what it is to be trained sometimes you're like oh we speak the same language like oh i get it like i, I move and you move without i didn't even have to talk about that oh that just worked in a way that like Often, if you don't have that kind of training, and it is very similar training at those are two programs that I think share a lot of kindred spirits to it. 
that you might not necessarily all, you know, move as easily. It's like, I always make sports analogies. It's like people who know how to play basketball, you can just throw the ball out there and they know they're going to cut at the right time and they're going to pass. And they, and I'm like, you see that on stage when we go, this person just gets it. I made this and then they come back with this and you go, yeah, cool. We're speaking the same language. Yeah, totally. Hannah, I need that bootleg just is where's the bootleg yeah, we need Sally Sally Bowles. Bowles. we'll put it in the show notes put it on youtube <laughs> yeah, we'll, put right, exactly. we'll put it in the show notes we honestly do need it on youtube all right I'll, as I'll a slime tutorial i'm sure it's out there. yes live tutorial um, my last school question for you is just and this is for both of you um if you could go back and now teach a class at your school or at a class and maybe you're not the one to teach it but if you go i wish this class had existed for us and i'm going to give you the rule it cannot be a business of the business class that's what everyone says but so what give me a class that is that you go i wish we'd had a little more of this now that i'm a professional i love my training probably it sounds like both of you did but what would i have wanted i wish i'd gotten a little more of this specific kind of training well i will say and one it's one that i've actually uh had the joy to teach um two versions of but uh the the version of it that i think is sort of uh sort of the most uh sparky i'd say is um a sort of devised class where the performers have to create their own work um, write their own work and be working and just learn what it is to create new work, to inherit someone's words, to be in the process of in the room of something brand new. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I feel like so much of at least when 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 I was at Carnegie Mellon, you know, we do so much honoring of of classic texts and mm-hmm. and just the text with a capital T, meaning like and also that that's text that's sort of frozen in time and great incredible work that is so nourishing and creatively full. But um, really not until, you know, it was my senior year where they started a program called Playground, where mm-hmm. we're, uh, a week is taken off, uh, I believe it's in the fall, where, where uh, you have to be, where you don't have class, but you have to be committed to a project that then at the end of the week, there's sort of like a festival of, of work. And um, that was for me where a piece of mine that's now called The Greenwood Tree, which is a musical based uh, about uh, Shakespeare's sonnets, began there because I was given this opportunity and this room and uh, uh, to create that. Um, mm-hmm. But outside of that, I had really no, there was not much room for what is new work and who are you in new work and what is your mm-hmm. responsibility in the room and what is your relationship with the writer? What is your, what is your relationship as the writer? Um, and so to create a sort of, so I led this class several years in a row at, at Malloy Cap 21 with my collaborator, Eric Price, uh, this devised theater mm-hmm. uh class where where by the end of half a semester they will have they would have written an original musical for their 15 people in their class and um i mean the growth and the trauma and drama and the challenge and wins of that was just incredible to see and to see them perform their own work uh on on their feet you know staged by us was like just just like so so inspiring and so i think just more experiences like that for sure I, i would love to teach and lead so cool. Hannah, same question. Amen. Amen. Um, you know, kind of along the lines of that, I feel like I would entitle the class Mindfulness Through Authentic Song Interpretation mm. and Expression 101. I am a long title. I know, such a long title. Thank you for not falling asleep. But you know what? It would be like a class that just honors the human behind the performer. Mm. I feel like no one ever was like, hey, so just because you have these capabilities doesn't mean that it's not kind of hard, doesn't mean that you're not going to feel postured, and doesn't mean that you're not going to, like, not want to do it one day. 
You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it's no one said that. They were just like, oh my God, you can do this? Cool. Mm -hmm. Like, this is so fun. Slash, like, you better work here, but off to be the best you can be at this. And it's like, you know what? We need classes, I think, where the teachers are like, let's do what and I think I think we have movement classes I think we have voice classes like speech voice mm-hmm. that kind of touch upon this but mm-hmm. I just wish it was more emphasized in the musical theater world like let's just before we like start these this empty performance class let's just get in our bodies let's honor the mm-hmm. the humans that are about to be called upon to express this artistry and then once we get comfortable enough through like giving ourselves grace to get to a point of expression now let's find how we authentically resonate with the text. And, and just to yeah. find that word postured for me, you said we feel postured. Yeah. What does that mean for you? This whole ideology was born so intensely out of my experience with Wicked, frankly, um, because I walked out on that stage to sing Wizard and I, and I was like, oh my God, how am I going to sing this? Am I going to sing it like Stephanie J. Block? Am I going to sing it like Adina? Am I going to sing it like Jessica? And I had to be like, no. You're going to be kind to yourself, honey, because you've got two and a half hours left and you're mm-hmm. going to sing it how you can sing it today. And mm-hmm. rather than put on a posture and mm-hmm. sing it how I think I should be singing it, rather mm-hmm. I had to fully surrender to what Hannah Corneau could do that day and honor her and thank her for uh-huh. it. And uh-huh. so, you know, now after that whole experience, when I teach students i'm like hey like let's just firstly get on the same page with each other that i see you and you are a you're a storyteller and you but you're Mm -hmm. a human who's having who's being called upon to storytell so let's just honor that human first to get you at a good place Mm -hmm. feeling safe to do so and if if you feel safe you're not going to be postured you're right like you may go in and out but it's you'll Mm -hmm. you'll try to be mindful and uh Stay out of so that. posture for you vocally is like trying to replicate a certain kind Try of sound, to like vocal choreography. Control, like, control, your control, control yeah. in placement, in tone, in uh-huh. acting as well. Just really control over the whole right. expression, right? Like, Which is a, a something that runs over, I think, a lot of musical theater work. Is like that, the, the, you know, the cast. I come to call it the cast recording version of it, where I'm like, oh, I'm hearing you try to sound like Adam Pascal exactly. or whatever. I'm trying to hear you sing like whatever. That it's like I'm. Uh, you're trying to replicate an emotional place that's really all being done in your voice and so then it's kind of dead on the inside because you're just like the emotion's right in my voice i don't need to give you anything else exactly hannah's pointing right now to say so just, <laughs> and it's, it's a audio medium but just so you know there's pointing I... which is saying i agree because i'm you. like yes 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 absolutely you you completely reflected that beautifully back to me it's, it's exactly that and we want to avoid that right well we've begun the section with a compliment we've ended the section with a compliment let's take a short break and then on the back end we're going to talk a lot about collaboration with will and hannah All right, we are back with Will and Hannah, and we're going to talk a little bit about collaboration, as Hannah has already dropped a couple times <laughs> the title of the show. Um, I know you've worked together in kind of multiple contexts, and also what I'm really interested in is both of you, I know, are kind of multi-hyphenate interdisciplinary artists, and you, you're used to wearing different hats. Um, and I think I want to talk about collaboration in general, but maybe let's focus a bit on this experience with Radioactive, right? There was just yeah. this release, this amazing single, if that's what to call it. It's a video. I don't know what the world is now. But it's this both. amazing thing, it's both. It's a single, and it's a double, and it's a triple, with Hannah singing some of Will's music. 
Um, and Will, I'd love to kind of start with you with, with this yeah. kind of collaboration. As someone who comes from that BFA musical theater world and as an actor and a singer yourself who still is an actor and a singer, um, how has that influenced your collaboration now as a composer, both with Eric, we don't have the wonderful Eric Price on the show, we would have, but doing three people I thought was too much for me to handle. Um, But with Eric, but then also with Hannah in terms of the interpretive singer. So what has that experience been like as you try to now work with something that you know how to do, but you're not doing that role at this moment? Yeah. Um, I mean, the crazy thing is, is that I am still doing that role. What's the greatest joy for me is that rather than my acting career where, you know, we are sort of put into a lane in terms of what we are uh, kind of allowed to do, what audiences will see us as, what creative teams will see us as, gratefully, joyfully, a lot of that is changing right now, which is an amazing, exciting time to watch this industry grow and move through that. Um in terms of the world of type and all those conversations. But but even still, you know, there is an essence that you are carrying that there are certain stories and rooms that that is that that essence is ex- exactly built for and there are some that you may never get in, get into that room, that creative room. Um and that's that's just part of that's just the that is the that's where your vehicle drives, you know, but mm-hmm. as a writer I can take myself down any road. I can be any vehicle. I can be a truck. I can be a car. I can be a bike. I can be a unicycle. I can be a train. I can be whatever. And that's just so having carried both of these careers side by side to have those days where I go in an audition and I'm doing that one thing that, that they seem to think I do. Mm-hmm. And then I get to go home and they decide whether how that went and if I get the thing or not. But then I get to go home and work over here and I get to be all the things. And I decide mm-hmm. if, it was a, if it was a success and I decide if it moves forward. So to have that empowerment, this sort of like yin yang of this career where there's half of it that is completely in my control, completely in my direction, where I am basically limitless is uh, incredibly freeing. Now, what that looks like on the actual professional how does this move forward? The show, like that's a different conversation for sure. But mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, an actor's job is to audition and then get and then do a show. But like, if your um, if your day to day is these auditions and you're feeling if you can be made to feel like you know your creativity and expression is being gatekept, mm-hmm. well, then to have this second half of a of a creative life where there are no gatekeepers is an incredible joy. So. All to say that my work as an actor, my training as an actor is the only way I can write because the mm-hmm. only way I think about writing is through the lens of character and, and, and circumstance. So I'm so grateful to have all to the experiences on stage, the experiences in training to bring me to where I am, where I can actually uh, create as well. And how does one learn to like compose for people who do different things vocally than you do? Like I can kind of imagine like here, like writing things. I was like, oh, I could kind of do this or even being like, it's a different key than Mm. me. But like, especially like I think Hannah, whereas we're going to see does things vocally that you don't do like that, that you go, her voice (laughs) does things that I don't do. But so you, how are you imagining that? Or how do is that a collaborative process? Is that something where you go, I I just know Hannah's voice enough or, or female voices enough that could do certain things like this, that I can write that and imagine that. Or Mm. how does that happen for you? I love that question. I've actually really not been asked that before. We're unique here on the pod. You know, we have great questions. It's a damn good question. Yeah. Um, I have to say it is that sense of um, when I am putting on 
that character and I'm sitting here, you know, I, I always I, I do write for me. I write for my, I, I think vocally always first. I always think yep. a melody, vocal first. Would I like singing this? Would this be yep. fun to do? You know, I've, I've done too many things <laughs> as an actor was like in a new work where I'm like, yes, do I have to try to pull this off for you? Like, please, you know, so I'm very sensitive to what I think is functional on the stage or in a song. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the voice type, gosh, I mean, I, I feel like it is so much, it's just where the character, um, it's just, it's, it's, I, it's where I wind up hearing them, you know? And so for, mm -hmm. so Marie Curie, like I was very clear that she would have this steely sound. I, it was very clear, like what her, what the range would sort of want to be, um, the kinds of sounds that I think she would be emotionally attracted to, you know, what mm -hmm. that, that, that would, uh, um, that would manifest in, you know, to, in, in her voice musically, um, started to become very, very clear to me. And it's funny because there were actually some early, early, early writing on the show where she sounded way too like princessy. Like she sounded uh -huh. way too much like, um, like that sort of, you know, that contemporary musical theater, you know, you higher frozen. mixed frozen. frozen kind of, kind of mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, it wasn't until sort of like a few years into the process where I was like, well, what if we just brought everything down first of mm -hmm. all, and then this, 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 uh, the her, the her real vocal vocabulary really started to show up for me. Um, but you know, it, it takes, it's iterative. It takes process. You know, it takes, you know, it takes a bunch of songs that don't wind up in the show for you to realize, oh, that wasn't uh -huh. her voice at all. But that got me to the, to this and, voice. And but do then, you hear a specific voice? Do you hear Hannah's voice as you're writing Marie Curie and going, this could work for, or, or if it's not specifically Hannah, but yeah. do you hear someone's voice that you know that goes, I yeah. know a voice that could do this. Well, I'll, I'll share a little tidbit. This is not name dropping. To see. This is not name dropping, but. <laughs> that's like saying well, this is name, not racist when you say this is not yeah, name dropping yeah, we know you're about to name drop let's be honest yeah well here we go yeah. so we were we so in our exploration of what is the voice what is the voice of marie curie while we were creating demos and writing we had the incredible fortune to um have a, a really really remarkable array of women come in and and record some demos so we had um kate baldwin and laura osnes and abby mueller um and then hannah corneau and then the step um, up to hannah corneau exactly we're yeah, all, we're all um <laughs> and uh and aaron, oh, and, uh, aaron Mackey, uh hannah ellis um um i got and i feel like i'm really uh, uh beth malone um yeah beth malone who we're interviewing on monday for this very pod what a, yes. oh my god yeah beth malone you know the, so we really we wanted to hear as many sounds as possible um on, on this material and but but when we were writing getting closer i had han and i were in the trenches with daddy long legs and it was instantaneously clear that mm -hmm. this was a singular voice and a voice mm -hmm. that i i must get into my world because mm -hmm. i i just i heard it i was listening to it every day we would rehearse together i would see her go on uh and i was just really mesmerized by her sound and her approach and her mm -hmm. artistry just everything it was like hannah like what you said about um, I guess about me when you're saying, you know, when you met me, that it felt like your collaborations with, you know, those, those, uh, those kind of foundational friendships and artists that who are now still, you know, your friends and artists and collaborators from college. It was the same thing for me. I was like, this is a person who's like in my tribe and yes. in my it, artistic heart. It's drive. so nice that Will gives compliments to himself through Hannah's voice. <laughs> Previous well, compliments from before the pod. Absolutely. Very yeah. Good, very good. I will, you know. But it was Please, okay, so Hannah. amazing compliments about me. <laughs> I it love was. You it's only so fair. I know. Much. I love you. Um, Hannah, let me ask you kind of the reverse side of the question yeah. of like, so as you're working on new work, and let's imagine, so it could be someone like Will, where you have a really close relationship, but it could be someone that you're a composer that's new to you and you may be friendly, but that you don't have quite the same relationship. Yeah. 
how do you find yourself giving feedback? Like if you imagine that you heard Will's princessy sound and you're like, I can do that but I feel like maybe it would sound a little better a couple notes lower. Or I feel like actually what you what might sound better in my voice if I'm playing this role is X. How do you do that? Maybe if it is different with Will than you do with someone else, I'd love to hear that. But, but just how do you find yourself going about giving that kind of feedback as the interpretive artist? You know, I'm going to disappoint you with this answer, but I don't give a lot of feedback. I just do what I'm told. <laughs> I, I, I mean... <sighs> Sometimes I give feedback. I really, I sometimes I do, but luckily I've been blessed with, you know, opportunities that, that I haven't really felt like I really, really have needed to. I'm thinking about Radioactive. I'm thinking about Renaissance, which was the show I did off Broadway and I originated a role there and worked with Carmel Deem. This was her mm -hmm. um, compositional um, debut for her and, and I hadn't really known her. And bless her and her artistry you know I didn't really have to give a lot of um feedback I find when I'm working on new material I just want to present the creators with what they created uh -huh. like you're just showing them what's on the page yes my voice can replicate what's on the page kind and that's of. my only job and, and frankly if you know if we're talking about training and prepping for like the industry like that mm -hmm. is what I pride myself in i I, I pride myself in my, my technique and how it has my back and how it, how it, you know, it enables me to give these creators um, a clear picture to then be mm -hmm. able to change or to then be able to morph. But I don't know. I just, sometimes I do speak up, but I, I uh, do it sparingly. And usually it's not mm -hmm. about the creation itself when I'm called in to be the actor, which like I said, may disappoint you because you know, like I was in a workshop recently with Alicia Umfris and like, she really inspired me by how she gave feedback to the creative uh -huh. team. And I learned from her. I was like, okay, 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 cool. Like that was. It also really depends on where they are in the process, right? Totally. Whether it's one thing to be on a 29 hour reading or a table read. Yeah. And then, then to be in previews where you've been, you know, it's, it's, it's you have to really mm -hmm. be aware of where the piece is in its gestation. Yes. Um, there's the right time for that kind of feedback. And when you, when it really is, I mean, and to hear you say that, Hannah, that, that, yeah, so much of the job is to serve what is there. It's the only way the writers can hear it clearly yep. because you're getting, we are trusting, uh, we, the writer are trusting the performer to do their to their their incredible work in, in, interpretively, but yes. then there's also that trust that you you trust us that we will hear what you've done and reflect back. Oh, we've got to change that, you know. Uh -huh. Without yeah. you, without without even the need for necessarily like direct feedback, the feedback is in your like exquisite interpretation of what's there. Mm -hmm. Well, love you for saying that. Thanks, I appreciate that, and I agree. I totally totally agree. What if there have there have you ever had a moment where there was like a vocal limit that someone wrote wrote something that you went. Not that you couldn't do it, but that you go, I, I, I don't know that I, you know, I'll try it, but I, but it feels like I wish this vowel were a little different. I, I could do it a lot better on an ah than an ooh here. Yeah. You know, is there anything like that? Have vocal limits with Hannah Cornell. There, oh you know, listen, no, I'm a Libra who's a perfectionist <laughs> and wouldn't let myself be anything less than. No, um, the demons in my head are real that make my vocals uh, rigid. Um, but, um uh you know yes there was a moment in renaissance with carmel d and i was like hey love it this key but i think i may need it a step lower we tried uh -huh. it a step lower we decided we liked it higher 
and I uh-huh. ended up doing it higher. But there was a yeah. moment. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think there's there's great power in knowing that we have agency as artists, right? You know, yep. so there, so like, yeah, like I think feedback is so important, and I love that you're asking this question because I think we need to normalize artists speaking up and advocating and voicing and and collaborating. I really, really do, mm-hmm. and so I think there's a time and a place. Um, but yeah, but some. But I've also seen like on, on a twenty on like a twenty an hour reading, like a first you know, the very first industry facing presentation of a new work. And on day one, an actor's like, so listen, so on page three, like, Ooh. and, and exactly. in the weeds already. Ooh. And it's yeah. like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like we will talk about this absolutely on, if we end on Friday, we're going to talk about this on Saturday, but uh-huh. right now we are kind of frozen unless something happens on our uh-huh. side to like change it for you. But we can't, every five seconds can't be the conversation, um, from your side of the music stand, just because we a have to get it done, yeah. but b we have to hear it how it is because yeah. mm-hmm. there's there's it's it could be anything we could we could go in any in any direction at some point we we are trusting you to serve what's here and and then also trust us that that we are hearing it you know but well, and it's hard because you want it we don't want we we never want as my performer hat we never want that egg on our face we don't want to do the thing that like feels awful and yep. gosh you know how many things shows we've new shows where it's, where it's just like oh god this moment they got totally <laughs> totally but but we do at the end of the day have agency as actors to not even make a thing of it but rather interpret it the way we want to and if they don't uh-huh. respond to it then we change and then we can advocate uh-huh. but we don't even may, need to be like hey on page three once we get to page three as the artist we'll just interpret yeah. it the way we feel like comfortable doing it and then go from there right you know uh-huh. i mean at least that's kind of how i do it Yep. But yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by this question, especially with new work and especially I'm going to say with new work in an environment that I think I think Broadway, especially, but really the theater in general is trying to be more open and more collaborative in the way that they work. And so with new stories, as opposed to, hey, this story's already written and we know what who sings what and all those things. It's really interesting. The feels to me the more that it opens up and where the kind of blurry line comes between of like what my character would do which is like i think my character would sing a little more i think i might have i might have another joke in here whatever that you sometimes the feedback becomes what is going to give me a better moment or going to give me you know i've I've seen some of that in the broadway world where it's like oh and all of a sudden that ensemble role has turned into a yes supporting uh, actor yes. role because of the feedback i gave during the workshop you know or the way that i interpreted during the workshop and and it's that interesting we talk about collaboration and competition which the way those two things can meld to each other. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm fascinated by that in terms of, they're definitely, you will see as actors who are working, um, I'm going to say with integrity and, and honestly just trying to interpret what's on the page, sometimes watch other actors steal some spotlight. And then actually all of a sudden their part's shrinking and the other part's growing. And they go, how did that happen? You know, mm-hmm. and I, I guess I wonder what, what that experience is like for both of you as actors, if you've had that experience uh, in the room. Collaboration has nothing to do with competition. If competition is anywhere near the ideology of collaboration, you're doing it wrong. Because mm-hmm. it's just, there's such beauty that can come out of collaboration. And frankly, I think the competition is mostly unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Well, get in there. What were you going to say? Uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just such a dance. You know, it yeah. really is a dance between between both sides of the table. 
And, you know, we're on this lead, this like leading edge, this like threshold area where like it, it is completely unknown and we're, and we're, we're, we're making it up together. And there is just, we have to throw the ball back and forth and trust as, you know, as I said earlier, we have to trust that the interpreters are going to do their best work for the highest good of the best idea in the room. And that the writers will throw that ball right back for the highest good for the best mm -hmm. idea in the room. And that we're all on the same page and literally, you know, and we mm -hmm. all want the best looking sounding feeling thing um but we are all but we're also like at the exact same time stumbling in the dark and we're also all like humans and we're all like vulnerable and some of us had like didn't get a lot of sleep the night before and some of us like you know have a little have a cold today like but we're also different day to day that you know how someone comes in after a lunch break is totally different than how they would have been you know had you done that scene in the morning you know mm -hmm. and so there is there's a real like dance around like how to get this how to get new material on its feet. And I think like, as long as everyone just trusts that everyone in that room is there for its highest good, hmm. the, the work will get done. And, and there, and, and it's actually okay to have moments of conflict and that's totally fine. And to explore that boundary. And if you have that red hot burning idea and something that your process will be stymied, if you do not express it, well, you have to express it, you know, and mm -hmm. trust that you're in front of people who will, who will catch that and respond accordingly. Um, but then you also have to sometimes check that and be like, is this for me or is mm -hmm. this for something else? Am I actually mm -hmm. working through some other process that was unfinished that now mm -hmm. I feel like in this process, I, I, I have to like revise um, mm -hmm. or am I actually having this moment of, of whatever friction I'm feeling in my work, either on, on either side of the table, um, because it's what's happening right now. You know, we do kind of carry, you know, previous experience of how it went with a writer, how it went with an actor on a new show with us on our back as we go into the next thing. And it's hard to treat each new experience as a fresh, brand new experience. Um, I've seen that a lot as well, you know, where it's like this expectation of how the writer will be or this expectation of how that diva or whatever will be, you know, mm -hmm. and that's so not the case, you know, uh, very rarely. I love that phrase, the highest good. I think that is such a helpful way to think of it. And I think really tricky when you're like right out of school, you know, if the objective in the room is to achieve the highest good, but we know secretly your objective might be, I really want to work with Will Reynolds again. I really think I want to make a, a, an impression on Will Reynolds that I'm a great actor, even that I'm an actor who's working toward the highest good, mm -hmm. right? So it's not necessarily that I want something selfish, but it's easy to be in that room. And we've all seen that happen where you go, but really what I'm looking for is the next step in my career. Because of course, that's the super objective in your life. But to be able to focus on the objective that we all have in this room, how do I serve that highest good is actually what will give you that thing. Yes, you'll get to tricky. the super objective if you just focus on the work. You, that's that's what it is you get to that super objective you work with the heroes when you just work diligently what about i'm gonna ask a difficult question for both of you as actors because i had a high school student ask this to me recently and i thought it was such an excellent question i gave the compliment that you're giving me of excellent questions <laughs> she said what do i do if the person i'm working with the other actor my fellow actor isn't giving me what i need in this moment so like there's this old Barbara McKenzie Wood adage, which is like, you can't ouch more than your pinch. That's one of our professors, right? You can't react more than the pinches, oh, you right? Just got, you, you just got, you just ouch Ooh. and pinch me at the same Ooh. time. <laughs> right. So what do you do if your scene partner isn't pinching you, right? Because she was saying like, she was working with an actor who just like wasn't doing the thing. She needed to have a reaction that she could not organically, authentically have based on what she was getting from her scene partner. At that moment, somebody has to step in and give feedback. How would you experience that? Or what, what feedback would you give or not give to that actor through the director? How, how would you imagine that going? If you're like, this obviously isn't working for what needs to happen for that mm -hmm. highest good. I mean, I think the statement, I'm not getting what I need from X, 
is a rough way to go through the world as, as a human, first of all. I mean, I think so much of our work as artists is such a reflection of just like what it is to be just a human on this earth, you know? And the idea that some external is going to make you okay or make you good or get you to where you need to be is so limiting. And again, it's that, it's that fixed mindset, right? That if, the, um, if, the, if that set piece isn't where it needs to be, if that prop isn't exactly there, if that actor doesn't provide that line reading in this way, then I can't, then I can't, then I can't. What a box you've built around yourself of, of impossibilities, you know? Whereas like, you're not, I'm not getting this. Great. What am I getting? You know, to turn it into find the yes and mine for the yes in those converse, in those situations and conversations, then this world of expectation of how it's supposed to be, because guess what? It's not showing up that way. Mm-hmm. That is so powerful. And amen to that all like, okay, so I'm not getting this. So, well, but what, but what am I getting? And maybe mm-hmm. could but you add, this is a question like for y'all, like, could we add like, well, and how can I get what I want and how can I cultivate it? Is that, mm-hmm. I mean, I also think about that. Cause like, yes, yeah, like I've had this situation where like, you know, and I'm glad you said like, how, how can I get what I need? Maybe like through the director, you know, cause there has been that moment when like, I am thinking very oh, linearly, yeah. like linearly. Yep. And I'm just like, oh, what the fuck? Like I need to be like crying and really experiencing this moment. And like, I am just being fed something so in my opinion and ex- expectation, which I'm glad you said that word will, you know, mm. so different right now than mm-hmm. what I'm hoping and wanting. And I had to just, after I spoke to the director and, the, and, and they were the liaison and it still wasn't changing, then yeah, I had to absolutely bring it to, well, what am I getting that's going to help me yep. achieve this? Uh- it's so smart. And I think it does speak to what you're saying about also trust of what the right role is, right? Trusting the composer will hear what is happening if you play what's on the page. If you organically and authentically react to what's happening in the moment, if the director is worth their salt and it's not working for the scene, the director is, that's the job to step in is so that you don't have to say, hey, I need you to slap me in this moment or I need you to put it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because if it's physical outcome, if it's like, they're not getting me to cross the room. They're not getting me to re- right. grab them. It's like, these things are so work outable. And like, right. that's yes. stuff that to me, you, you, your director will literally see, right. There will be a moment yeah. where like, well, I'm not crossing there now. And the direct it, that the other, per- the people who are, are responsible for, for the movement on stage will be like, well, we got to get them over there, you know? And yep. so trusting that, that if you expect, if in the story, it says she cries and you aren't getting whatever it is to feed into that moment, for that to show up in whatever way it needs to for you, the director, writer, everyone on the outside is like, we got to yep. get her. We have to serve and yep. get her there because it's not happening right now. So just trusting again. And, and again, where are you in the process? Are you, if it's a 29 hour reading, you got to shake and bake a lot of stuff for yourself. You know, if you're yep. in rehearsal, you have to trust that you're in a process, right? That mm-hmm. it's, you know, you're, it's, it's Monday. See how that is on Wednesday. If you're in pre, you know, it's when you're in a run, you also, when you're in a run, you have the, amazing tool of a stage manager who remembers how it's supposed to be and it's their job to maintain how Uh it's supposed to be and that really becomes a very sort of you know uh kind of just crap you know just uh uh, part of just the craft of what it is to run a show and um you know so i think there's there's always these people these other roles who are who have the exact same intention as you and want to get you there um and it just depends on where you are in the process and i think so much of that is just wanting that thing too soon and not letting it be an organic process and just trust yes. that like you're on a journey and it's like, maybe it didn't happen today. Oh, well. 
Well, and coming back to that rigidity of it's only these four schools or whatever, that if you're in that place of going, if you don't do this, I can't do this. If you're coming with that attitude, you'll make it true, as opposed to leaving open the possibility that what actually is in front of me might lead to a really interesting place. And if not, then you do trust, yes, the stage manager or the director. Someone's going to come in and go, all right, let's adjust this moment. That pause is becoming 10 seconds and it's not really working for the show anymore, right? That you, but, but that if you're going to react to whatever happens in that pause that your scene partner's taking as truthfully and then maybe something even better could come as opposed to it's wrong it's different therefore i can't is not necessarily a really helpful place oh yeah and it's the same conversation with the idea that is not real of writer's block this idea that we're blocked and there's a thing in front of us that is outside of us and it's this thing and it's blocking us and it's like well great you've just given so much power to something Mm. that doesn't exist that isn't in the room that isn't there and like the, the times where Eric and I in our process have felt back into a corner creatively where we can, you know, can't see our way through it, you know, we, I always trust in my collaboration and with the people who are in the room doing this together, there's, a, there's, a, there's an over, there's a higher, you know, that hive mind thing is very real mm-hmm. and that the, the answer is in the room and it is in the mm. collaboration and I don't have to be responsible for all of it. And if you are working on your own, there, you are still collaborating. You're collaborating with your past, with your, with your, with the people in your life. You're, you are still mm-hmm. a collaborative being, even though it feels like it's just you and your instrument or you and the piece of paper. You're still oh. collaborating with your day. You know, you're collaborating with what's literally right in front of you right now. So you are you're there. setting up our game so beautifully oh. in a second here, which we're going to play in a second here. But you're setting us right. up the past and the present. I'm not going to say any more, but it's very good. But I want <laughs> two more questions about yes. um, collaboration. Right. Which Hannah, this is for you because. My assistant, who Will knows, also has worked for Will before, our wonderful Jordan Rice, um, was looking up something and wrote, Hannah made an iconic riff in No Good Deed. <laughs> I have no idea exactly what that means, but apparently it's an iconic riff that you did. So I want to talk a little bit about that, like interpretive, like what it is to, when would you maybe change a rhythm or add a riff or even play with a melody a little bit when you're given a song? Like when do you take that freedom? especially in a new musical versus, I mean, obviously oh. Wicked is a longer running musical, et cetera. Like I, I think of it as, as something I didn't realize it took me so many commercial auditions before I realized, oh, you can just make everything up. Like <laughs> a commercial audition, it is a suggestion. Like they really want you to write the thing better than they wrote it. Like mm. this is out there. If you're ever doing a commercial audition, just be funnier than the text. Like I learned that eventually that they're like, play with it. And eventually I was like, oh, just improv. Like you want me to yeah. write this better than it was written. And then you'll use that in the commercial, even though you don't cast me. Yeah. Um, oh. But like, Oh There's that with a commercial audition, but for a play, if I was going in for an Itamar Moses play, yeah. I would do exactly what's on the page. Yes. I, I would interpret with a pause or something, but I'm not adding words or changing. When and where do you play and riff and change things just in terms of your own interpretation? And, you know, I don't know all the best words of back singing or whatever you do, no, but yeah. when do you do that versus when do you feel like I'm singing exactly what's written to the dotted quarter on this page. You know, yeah, no, that's a great question. Like with Renaissance, like honestly, I sing oftentimes what's on the page. Sometimes like not to the dotted quarter. Sometimes I'm like, my phrasing is telling me this is different. But mm-hmm. um but usually notes wise I sing because like I'm not a vocal like like yes I can sing high and I you know, I have the tone I've been blessed with, like, yes, but like my agility is not like Jessica Voss. And so like, love your assistant for referencing my uh, riff and wicked, but like, iconic was really I am iconic. obsessed with that. Honestly, I was hugely influenced by Vosk. Like I hugely, I feel like she did something that really struck me. And in that, you know, in that show, um, of course, we've had those like iconic women who have interpreted that music in such 
singular ways, right? But now um, it's really encouraged to just sing what's on the page, which kind of was a relief for me because, like I said, like hmm. my vocal agility is like not as of Shoshana Beans. Like it's not that. Hmm. It's not Vosk. You know, I'm a different type of vocalist. Um, but that that riff was totally inspired, I think, by Jessica. Hmm. I mean, but hmm. it sounds different because I'm just a way different vocalist, right? Uh-huh. So, and I think. I don't really know what he's referring to, but I think it's probably just the end. And I was just hugely inspired by her. Um, and yeah. then I must've reinterpreted it based off of her genius. You know what I mean? And her inspiration within my spirit, but with Renaissance, I tried to sing what was on the page, but man, oh man, that was just like a playground of freedom, vocal freedom uh-huh. and like mm-hmm. vocal gymnastics and just everything I love to do. Um, so you're just taking your own musical theater class of organically showing up as an artist yeah. and then whatever interpretation happens yes. is just it p- putting on the clothing of this thing, yes. but you're just wearing, wearing it as it is. I'm wearing it as it is, babe. And I'm wearing it as the, I'm wearing it the only way that I can wear it. Yep. And frankly, that was really forwarded. You know, that was really and instilled during Wicked because that was the only thing. We got to shout out our, our own MTCA alum who's right now playing Elphaba <gasps> on Broadway. Talia, Talia, what's up? Come on. Talia, what's up? Come who, on. Talk about an icon. My goodness. Who I coached at MTCA. Wow. And Will has to get that in there too. You Not did? just MTCA, but a Will Reynolds MTCA. Oh, no man. big deal. NBD. Um, Let's lastly, before we play our game, I just want to talk a little bit about collaboration online, which of course we're doing right now, right? We're in this weird Zencaster three-way Zoom room. It's not Zoom, but as more and more of the people do this work online, how are we finding that that does happen? I don't know if with Radioactive, how much you did in the room versus online with COVID, but do you find yourself now trying to collaborate non-contemporaneously? So is there more recordings and sending voice memos and back and forth? Or do we still spend a lot of time on Zoom rooms, Zoom calls with each other? I guess I'd love to hear what has that experience been in 2022 for all of you? Uh, well, uh, so with Eric, Eric Price, my amazing lyricist who I've been collaborating for like, with nearly like 15 years now, which is nuts. Um, so much of our collaboration has been in a long distance format, either you know online, phone, email, all the things that can connect us in, in those ways. Zoom, of course. Um, just because of just either I was in Brooklyn, he was uptown, I was on mm-hmm. tour with Mamma Mia, he was in New York, you know, like I was, so much of our collaboration was around my Carnegie career. Mellon tour? Tour. Uh, tour, tour. Tour. <laughs> tour. Tour. Um, you know, and so we've had, we had to learn how to work long distance because I often was in the early days in our collaboration wasn't, wasn't around and, and in town. Mm-hmm. Um, so he and I have really, really ironed that out. And so much of our work is sort of, we are on our own and then we come together to fuse that solo work together and to move mm-hmm. the ball. And then we kind of go away and we, and we marinate and do our separate jobs and come back to, uh, to, to again, combine those elements. And so, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I am fine working this way. Of course there was nothing ever, 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 ever like being in the room and being at the piano and, and, and mm-hmm. whoever is in that room with me to make the thing, like there's nothing ever to second that. Uh, and ideas move differently in those spaces. Um, and I think Eric and I just over our time together and our trust of each other and our weird, like, I don't know, like brain connection that like we we can kind of get it done this way. But there is and there is nothing like being in the room. And I know Hannah just is coming off of an experience, uh, an intense in the room uh, collaborative experience. And it's it's there. So there's nothing like it. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's, you know, that the, in the room where it happens of it all is very, very true. 
do you find yourself like technologically developing shorthands of Google comments mean this versus this Dropbox or like, how are you? Is it just like you write your thing and send it to the other person or do you have like yeah, this oh, like, you know. Yeah, we, we don't, we, yeah, uh, we don't really use all the things that I guess are out there. I mean, it is a lot of, it is voice memos for forever. I mean, we have hours and hours and hours and hours of voice memos back and forth of, you know, me demoing stuff, Eric mm -hmm. reading his lyrics, Eric and I sending each other kind of monologues to each other via voice memo. Um, but like in terms of actual like drafty things, gosh, I don't even know. Yeah, I mean, we definitely don't use, we don't, yeah, we don't use like comments on in Google or it's really, just, mm -hmm. it's just all conversation. It's so much in the conversation. And then if it's about getting something on the page, you know, Eric, uh, Eric is, you know, in terms of text and script, he's the one putting it there in terms of score, that's me. Um, it's the trust that from our conversation, it's going to reflect what we discussed. And then I'll, I, uh, if it's, if it's his work, if it's, if it's dialogue and scene and, you know, that stuff, that work, it'll come to me and I'll read it and then we'll talk again and wrestle it out. And um, sometimes it will be a sh screen share and he's type, you know, he's uh -huh. in the script and, and I'm, and I'm with him. Um, I mean, again, so much of my work with him is to be all the roles and be the actor, you know, mm -hmm. and just giving him, uh, I'm sort of like just the, the, the canary in the coal mine of our shows. I'm like, I don't know why, it is, but it's this, you know, I, I can't, mm -hmm. you know, and he's, he's so much, he is, gratefully to me so much more of the logic and the, mm -hmm. and the craft and the like architecture um, as well as like just an outstanding, you know, use and uh, of the English language and just gift there. But like, we really do complement each other in terms of sort of what, what energies we lead with. Um, so I can always trust that like, there's a solution in structure from him and there's a solution in like kind of chaos and mess from mm -hmm. me <laughs> in a great way. Yeah. All right. Well, I think it is time to play our game. Have either of you guys played the game Mind Meld before? No. But Do you know the game like Mind Meld? Well, we're going to learn it together. Terrifying. This is a very simple, like, warm-up game, something I sometimes do with acting classes to, like, get us all in the room, right? The listeners can play along at home. So you're going to start off, and both of you are going to think of a completely random word. And then we're going to say it at the same time. Just a completely random word, right? Then the challenge is you're going to both try to come up with what is in the exact center of those two words. So what's right in the middle of them? It could be metaphorically in the middle, logically mm -hmm. in the middle, however your brain thinks. There's no right way to do it. You just can't repeat a word that's already been said. But whatever direction you think of, right? If, if something word association, if it works, it can go to the left, to the right, however you want to do it, right? We're not going to think too long. We're going to look deep into each other's eyes and see how quickly we can mind melt. If we do it really well, we may play a couple rounds of the game. If we do really poorly, we Dear may play God. just the one round until we mind melt. Great. We're about to play Mapping the College Edition Mind Meld for the very first time. If we time. say the same word the first time, I'm just going to... You better not like chat it to each other. I'll be very angry. Yeah. Are you ready? Three, two, one. Lipstick. Cinnamon. I heard lipstick and I heard cinnamon. And now what's in the center between lipstick and cinnamon? You're both going to say it at the same time. Make sense? Okay. Three, two, one. Martha Julia Stewart. Child. <laughs> now, that, now those words are gone. We have Martha Stewart and we have Julia Child. What's ah, directly okay. in the center of Martha Stewart and Julia Child? Do you both have a word? Mm -hmm. Three, two, one. Apron. Living. Living and apron. Okay. What is in the center of living and apron? Three, two, one. Heart. Mother. <laughs> Heart and mother. That's very close. We're getting very close. Three, two, one. Family. Child. <laughs> Child and family. Ooh, are we close? Ooh, are we close? Okay. Three, two, one. Home. Care. 
<laughs> What's right in the middle between home and care? Three, two, one. Trust. <laughs> essential oils. Did you say something, Will? <laughs> I said essential oils. <laughs> essential oils. Okay. So we have trust and essential oil. Oh, okay. Trust okay. And essential oil. Ooh. Do we have one? Is a mind melt starting to some somewhere in here? We got trust and essential oils. You both look excited. I don't believe you, but let's see what happens. Three, two, one. Witch. Witch. Yes! Yes! <laughs> we did not. We did not. We have a mind melt. And we did it on the witch of Elpha yes! coming all the way back. We looked at each other. We were like. We had it. We had it. Dare we try to play again? Oh. Can you beat 13? Can you beat 13 whatever times in this time? Oof. I think you can. You now understand the game, yes? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Here we go. Round two. We've gotten one already. A beautiful witch. All those rounds are gone. All those words are out of our minds. It is now just a new random word from anywhere in the universe. Mm -hmm. We got a word. It goes three, two, one. Radium. Chair and radium. Chair and radium. Okay. Three, two, one. Marie. Marie. Yay! <laughs> because I, what was funny what's my i was like oh well now i have to say marie curie and i was like oh that's weird but yeah. i nope. said it too yep. no you forced it you forced it, you forced it. okay we're gonna do one more round one more round no forcing toward your own musical no i know it's forcing. such a yeah thank you oh my you. gosh you're trying to do branding i get it good for you know. yeah, <laughs> fine. radioactive playing soon and blah 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 about marie curie <laughs> getting closer on spotify Random word, nothing to do with our careers and ourself. Um, <laughs> Got it. We talked about this. Thank you. Thank you. Propagation or whatever. Yep. Mm. Okay. Random word from nowhere. Three, two, one. Book. Mountain. Mountain and book. Great words. Three, two, one. Monk. Peace. Monk and peace. Ooh. Very close. We're very close. We're going three, two, one. Meditation. Heaven, I was going to say. You said nothing. You said heaven, nothing. Heaven you said nothing. I did Okay, so we've got meditation and nothing. What's in the middle of meditation and nothing? Everything. Well, careful, don't cheat. Don't yep. cheat. We got meditation and nothing. Ready? Three, two, one. Now. Joy. <laughs> now and joy. Okay, great oh. words. Now is a great word. Yeah. Three, two, one. Collaboration. Collaboration. Oh, you cheated. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh my god. We will stop there. Fun. That was fantastic. Fantastic. Before I before I fully let you go, we've been doing a little bit of a runner on social media. So I just want to throw out, like, what is both of your wonderful relationships yes. or terrible relationships with social media? I'll start with you, Hannah. Yep, yep. How have you used it as a positive? Where have you found the negatives of it? Talk to us a little bit about your relationship. Totally. There. I think, you know, uh, social media, I'm wary about it because of the competitive nature to it. Because I think competition is truly the antithesis of of self-worth and joy and, and all of that. So I think social media is scary, but I also think social media is a beautiful and powerful tool and can be uplifting and can be used for connectivity. And it can be used to further your, um, you know, visual dreams and, uh, and personal dreams too. It's a tool. Mm -hmm. It's a tool. Just protect yourself from it. Right. I'm also too old for TikTok, So sorry about it, y'all but I love you. We just started a TikTok. No cool. big deal. We're very proud of cool. ourselves. Um, how have you used it? So you, this fashion yeah. uh, outlet that you've started, how, how has it has it been something that you've successfully been able to use yeah. your social media following to now parlay it into um, some fashion For sure, stuff? for sure. The Rose House was born out of the pandemic and it was basically like 
an online, like your favorite, like online boutique fashion house vibe. Now it's, I'm, mm. I'm transitioning the Rose house from a boutique to more so like, um, fashion house that will have like collections coming out. Um, mm. you know, just more streamlined, um, rather mm -hmm. than like treasure shop vibes. However, if we ever had like a brick and mortar, it would be a treasure shop, but yes, social mm -hmm. media helped that so much because in the pandemic, I mean, it was such a powerful tool. It really, really was. Yep. Um, and just, it really does forward and further connectivity amongst artists. Yep. So I, I believe in it greatly. And Will, what about you? So for you, someone who, um, you of course, work for the wonderful MTCA, but you have your also, this is empty space. I just said it wrong there, right? This is this empty space. This empty space. This empty space. It's a Peter Brook. The empty space. This empty space. I got it. It's empty. Theater But And of course, and your own songwriting career. And I've seen you on the TikToks beautifully doing fun ticks and talks. They're very great. How has that experience been for you? Is that something that's a struggle for you? Is it something that comes kind of naturally? How has that been? Yeah. Well, I mean, Hannah absolutely hit the nail on the head that it is a tool you know it is absolutely a tool and i think for artists i think we have to remember that i mean if, if if i were not an artist i don't think i would have much of a relationship with social media i don't think i just think i would be exhausted by it and really it would not um interest me but i think because i feel like we are slightly beholden because if you would if you had told you know artists of two you know 100 years ago 50 years ago that there would be a tool that you could mm -hmm. reach tens of thousands perhaps millions of people for free i mean there yeah. is there is there is a bit of a uh like a real win there and i, I think you, any artist mm -hmm. in the from the past would be like oh my god sign me up where do i how do i do that you know all of our our whole our whole journey has been like hey who can where is my audience who can hear me please listen and and mm -hmm. we've in the past it's been all about gatekeepers and people who are you know make getting in front of the people who could get you in front of people but now mm -hmm. you can do it yourself but now the real difficulty is like actually doing that work and being willing to be very very vulnerable in, in that space and so mm -hmm. i find you know that it is a tool and to create more than you consume that mm -hmm. um if you are a creator on there do not get lost in the scroll but you are there you are you are showing up on that app not to consume but to create and it's a reminder I have to tell myself all the time yeah. because those things are built for us to get lost in. Yes. You know, so just remember that that if you are an artist, that you have a real tool at your advantage that's different than someone who uses it to catch, to, you know, to entertain themselves, to keep up with friends and family. Like, that's amazing, too. But this really is a platform. This is your artistic home and platform. And you decide the rules and you decide what goes goes on that stage. Um, but use it. I mean, gosh, I mean, I just can't imagine, you know. If you again, those artists, you know, if you told Shakespeare, I think he would have absolutely mm -hmm. been on social media. Yeah, mm -hmm. and you're so good at it, Will. <laughs> think... You're so amazing. Oh God, I need really to be more are. consistent, though, for sure. Because I'll, I'll yeah, that was the go. note I was going to give you. I'm glad you yeah. gave it yourself, so I didn't have to say that. But I was <laughs> more so consistent much. for sure. I will take no. That I, I do think that note of like create more than you consume yeah. is like a great rule for life. Oh, yeah. Like, yes, for social media, <laughs> but also like, like for ment my mental health. It's a note I've given myself exactly of like mm. how much consumption versus creation have yes. I done. You know, or or sometimes if in the work that I'm doing, am I doing more like assimilation of information versus what am I actually creatively outputting in the world? And I, I find myself so much happier when even if it's not specifically writing something or, you know, sometimes it's creative pursuit, like designing curriculum or something, but something that's got some kind of creative yeah. aspect to it. Part of wanting to start the podcast was like, this gets to be a, a creative outlet for me in a way that like not everything that you do administratively in your job is. Yeah. And I feel like that is if you spend your day 
sort of administrating and then you watch television and then you scroll through social media and it's all consumption, it puts you in a really unhealthy Absolutely. mental place. It really does. Yeah, and I think of you know, when I when I first started really, when I moved to the city and was really starting to write and, and create shows and really have like, a, started to build a body of work, the only way to get it in front of people was to have a concert or to, uh-huh. to you know, to, to invest money, invest a lot of time, find space around your job, you know, to, it was a lot to, it felt like moving a mountain to get your work heard in the world, you know, to try to get on stage at Rockwood to try to get, you know, on a, you know, there were, there were a few platforms, you know, there, I remember concerts like, um, um, uh, cutting edge, cutting edge composers was a concert Mm -hmm. series. Um, Scott Allen, the composer had his Monday nights, new voices. And, you know, I did Mm -hmm. all, you're kind of like on this circuit of like places where, you know, you can show up like Birdland, you know, and what Jim Caruso does on Monday nights there, you know, like that was kind of the only way to show up in front of people. And now we Mm -hmm. do have this, this personal stage that it just seems like, gosh, like why not use it and find a way to use it that feels good for you and don't do it like anybody else. Because also Mm -hmm. if you're doing it like somebody else, then like, you know, you're kind of doing it wrong. Like show up, show up like you. All right. Well, you can use this specific stage now to finally brag about radioactive. Tell us you're trying to do it in the game. You're trying to sneak in and force it, but I'll let you do it now. Tell us a little bit about radioactive and what's upcoming with that. I know this maybe a couple weeks ago that we saw that really blasted over social media, this amazing video of Hannah singing getting closer i believe it was called that's right yeah so um we have a single out from the show radioactive sung of course by the magnificent hannah corneau um it is such a gift to have her on this and to collaborate on this piece with her and yeah the show was about uh marie curie who discovered the element radium um she was the uh the first woman to win a nobel prize she won two of them um and she was she fled from poland to paris to pursue science in a time when that when in Poland, it was literally the Russians had invaded Poland and it was like not, it was outlawed for science to be studied, for women to be in school. So she fled to Paris. She was one of only a handful of women at the Sorbonne. She had this vision and belief that there were powers and elements beyond what we could see. And she was laughed out of every room about that. And it took seven years, but after seven years of sweat and toil and breaking down this crazy rock called Pitch Blend, she and her collaborator, Pierre Curie, who would later become her husband, discovered the first invisible element of radium mm-hmm. and brought it in, into the world. And it's a story about collaboration. And it's a story about two minds coming together that also become two hearts coming together to, to, to find invisible things. And radium is, and the reason why it's a musical is that radium is invisible. Love is invisible. And music is invisible. And we use all these elements to tell the story. And um, so the song is out and the song Getting Closer is like a two minute bullet train where Marie is trying to tell Pierre she does not have time for love. She doesn't have time for a relationship. She is hell bent on her pursuits as, as a scientist and she's getting so close. Um, but she's also getting closer to Pierre. And so she's kind of caught. And so the song is out on Spotify and Apple Music, all the things. The video is on YouTube and all those things. And um, you can buy the sheet music on reynoldsandprice.com. And we just would love for you to check out the tune because Hannah is extraordinary. And Charlie Rosen did an outrageously magnificent orchestration. Charlie, who just mm. won a Grammy and was Tony nominated this past season. Um, he's a rock star for, for Strange Loop. We will have it in our show notes, the link to exactly this. Great. Anna, do you think it's okay that I'm not making fun of Will for trying to hit collaboration again in the show? Because yes. he said it very beautifully. Yes, he did. So we think we, we, let we can let it slide. Yeah. We can let it slide. Yeah, I think we should. Ha! <laughs> well, to both of you, thank you so much for the time. This was such a pleasure to get thank to do you. Thank you so much for having us. Same. Thanks, and thank Charlie. you, Will, for creating. Oh, boy. 
I hope you enjoyed that episode. I had a blast recording it. Um, Will, of course, I've known for years, uh, so not at all surprised by his charm and easy banter, as well as his soulful intelligence. Uh, But Hannah was a new friend to me, and I just really enjoyed her energy. Uh, She was smart and deep, and I think really fun to talk to. Um, as always, so much that we could do a deeper dive into. I have so many more thoughts on collaboration in different forms as an individual artist, and maybe we'll get into that with some more guests on future episodes. I also really liked Will's theme of not gripping too tightly to an initial idea, whether that's in the college uh, process or in the rehearsal room, but I also thought he articulated it so well that I don't necessarily have a ton to add to it um, today. Uh, So really, I'm just going to do a short expansion on this idea of like collaboration versus competition that I brought up at one point. Um, And I think pretty quickly said competition has no place in the collaborative rehearsal room. And of course, I could not agree more, right? Those two ideas are are antithetical, right? They're they're naturally at odds. Uh, You know, are, are we working toward a higher purpose or are we tearing each other down, right? However, the reason I brought it up is I think that there are very few rooms where that energy exists at like 0%. And I'll even say, even the wonderful Charlie Murphy, your podcast host, who is, I think, a pretty like heady kumbaya kind of person. And I strongly believe in the importance of like team play and collaboration and selflessness and putting, you know, the play above myself. I often still find it hard to keep that competitive energy 100% out of the room. And maybe it's worth uh, sort of defining what I mean by competitive energy, because I don't necessarily mean combative energy, right? You know, most people, if you're talking about a professional rehearsal room, are not coming in, like, directly oppositional, right? You know, maybe in high school theater, it could literally be that, like, where, you know, the girl who didn't get the lead is, like, directly jealous and hiding it poorly. But in professional sense, uh, you know, I think it might be more about kind of finding that line of... Am I showing off or am I lifting up my castmates, right? You know, and showing off could be as simple as, it doesn't necessarily mean like obviously showing off. It could be like, you know, asking for a laugh or maybe adding a flourish to a moment that's more because it makes you look good than because it serves the story. Not that asking for a laugh or a flourish is always a bad thing, right? It's an incredibly tricky line because sometimes those are really excellent additions to a show, you know, and it takes a high level of taste to understand where and when you can experiment with some of that versus when am I taking up too much space, right? Or am I actually being too timid, right? Where can my boldness actually serve the room? And where is it more about, I got to keep this thing moving, right? Of course, I'm going to make a basketball analogy here because how can I not? Um, In basketball, this conversation often revolves around like how many shots someone takes. So, you know, sometimes, especially if you have a lot of stars on a team, people can get pouty if they aren't getting enough shots. Maybe that's the equivalent in the theater world of like if you don't have enough lines, right? And it can be kind of tough to share the ball. Often, there's a ton of value in role players who play really hard defense and shoot rarely, allowing their stars, the stars on their team, to really flourish. But the flip side of that is that there's a real downside if you're not willing and able to shoot the ball when the ball is passed to you. Now, in that case, the other team's going to stop defending you and actually makes it much harder for the stars to find space. So you're actually not lifting your team up, teammates up by being selfless. If anything, you're making it harder on your teammates. You know, and of course... In the end, the most important thing as a team in that kind of objective sport like uh, basketball is that the ball goes in the net, right? It shouldn't actually matter who scores it. You want as many times the ball to go in the net as possible for your team, right? But we're all human and we all have some level of ego and it takes a real self-awareness to know, am I shooting too much for my role or am I actually not shooting enough? 
Um, and you know, hopefully the coach or in the theater, this would be like the director is going to set the tone of what like a good shot is from various members of the team or the ensemble. You know, I really say all this, not, not so much for some direct advice about it, but just to kind of validate the difficulty of this. If anyone experiences it coming out of a theater program, it, it was really surprising to me coming from a place of like, everybody's an equal. We all have an equal say in the room, sort of regardless of what you're playing in the show. You sort of felt like, well, we're all equals. We're all in the same position. And then you walk into a professional setting and it can be a really tricky thing of like, you know, how much do I own my own space? How much do I bring my genius and my gift loudly into the room versus, you know, when do I, I kind of pick my spot and, and find my moment? It's just, it's hard. Um, and I just want to also kind of validate, like, you're not a bad person for wanting to shine, you know, for wanting to have that moment where you go, the director remembered me, even though I, you know, I was an ensemble member and I had four lines, but man, I nailed those four lines, right? That energy, even though it is to some extent a competitive energy, or it's a, it's a self-competitive energy, it's going, I want to crush it. I want to really do a good job with my, with my part. You know, in some ways, the, the, what we're talking about with Hannah, it is a little antithetical to the spirit of what you're trying to do of just serving the room and serving what's going on. But it's also like completely human and totally natural. So, you know, all of this takes a little bit of conscientiousness, takes a little bit of taste and experience to figure out, you know, how best to do this and, and when do I shine my light and when do I just uh, keep, you know, uh, shining it on someone else, maybe as opposed to letting it shine center stage. Okay, that's enough of that takeaway. If you yourself want to listen to more of these kind of episodes, why don't you hit that subscribe button? You could also rate us, review us. We think that's great. If you, like Hannah, think I ask excellent questions, put it right there in the review. It's great. Uh, you can also follow me on social media. I promise a vacation post will be coming. Maybe not while I'm on the vacation, but afterward. We'll take some nice pics, you know. Um, you can also follow MTCA and check us out at mtca.nyc if you want some individual prep for your college process. To my young artists out there mapping their journeys, fly by the seat of wherever you're from pants. And Will, will you play us out on your own episode? We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.